Hello, there we go. You know, we were singing that, that song. Hey, can you turn these lights down a little bit, Bubba? They're glaring. There, I can see eyeballs. Um, we were singing that song about blood, and, and I got to thinking, you know, not a lot of uh, preachers, not a lot of churches today uh, preach on and sing about the blood. I'm glad we do. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's what? No remission. So it takes the blood to be cleansed from sin. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here on this wonderful Memorial Day weekend. You know what the Bible says? All that are godly in Christ Jesus will go to church on Memorial Day weekend. So, <laughs> so the godly are here, huh? I, I want you to know I'm glad I told someone. Actually, I have to just be, I guess, confession good for the soul. I better be pretty open with you. If I wasn't a preacher and I was a little bit younger, uh, I can't promise you, I'm sure I would be, but I cannot promise you I would be here today, you know. And when I was younger, every time a weekend came or a holiday came and people flew the coop, I just like mother hen, I'd just get all stirred. But now that I get older, you know, I realize some of the best time you can have is being with your family on certain days. You don't want to miss that. But you don't want to miss three times in a row because you know what happens, don't you, if you miss church three times in a row? It all falls apart, huh? Well, I'm glad that you're here. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, okay? You've been with us. Uh, last week, we had our, of course, graduating senior recognition, and so uh, Mark led us on a detour. But uh, we are on a study in Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to encourage you to turn there. Today, we'll be in verse 7, and if you're like me, sometimes you forget yesterday, uh, or forget today what you did yesterday. So I want to take just a moment to kind of refresh your memory. Some of you may be here for the first time. So let me just take a moment to kind of reset our bearings uh, just a little bit. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, uh, but we do know that it was a sermon written to help disillusioned and discouraged uh, young followers of Jesus Christ. In all probability, they realized that following Jesus was harder than they thought. In fact, uh, maybe even harder than they were told. They're realizing something that every Christian needs to realize. That carrying a cross can be dangerous. Carrying a cross can be painful. Carrying a cross can be intimidating. Persecution and death is scary. Unless you're a martyr who believes that you're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. But for most of us, following Jesus Christ is a little intimidating. So maybe they were thinking, you know, this wasn't what I bargained for. This wasn't exactly the way it was told to me. Maybe it's not really what I wanted to do. So I think I may consider going back. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. The whole sermon of Hebrews, the whole letter of he, uh, the book of Hebrews was written so that they would know that Jesus is the best, that Jesus is superior, that there's no other way than Jesus Christ. In fact, he's encouraging them to gather together. He's encouraging them to be 
faithful to the end. And he's wanting them to know you can't go back anyway. Jesus is worth it. When we come to chapter 11, let me tell you what I think he's trying to do. To these disillusioned Christians that are feeling the pressure of living righteous in an unrighteous world. He's trying to help them understand, listen, you're not alone. There's others in the ditch with you. And there's been others that have gone on before you. Isn't it good to know that when you're in a ditch, there's other people in the ditch with you? Huh? And isn't it good to know that if you are in a ditch, others had went before you and persevered? There's a saying, misery loves company. That's kind of what I think he's trying to do. He's trying to help them know. And I think through inspiration, he's wanting us to know that not only is Jesus worth it, but you're never alone. There's others walking. There's others suffering. There's others persevering along with you. So for the next few weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some examples of faith followers who endured in the midst of great pressure, showing that they lived by faith, seeing with their ears. Catch that? Seeing with their ears. They followed Him who is unseen. They believed seeing Him who is unseen. Because God spoke. They heard with their ears. They followed. And they endured for the glory of of God. Now let me tell you what I, I want to do today and next week. We're going to be in verse 7, okay? And I, there's, there's too much, frankly, as I studied. I wanted to do all of verse 7, but as I began to flesh it out, as I began to write it out, I realized that there's no way I can get out everything that's in my heart in just one sermon. And so today I'm going to make some general comments to you about verse 7. Next week we're going to break down the structure of verse 7. Okay? Uh, in fact, I have to tell you, um, there's the potential that today may be a very short sermon. Okay? <laughs> Who am I kidding, you know? Uh, but there's the possibility that some of the things I say uh, I'll be able to say and you may even get out in time to go to lunch. Okay, would you stand with me? Hebrews 11, verse 7. Let's read this. It's an incredible verse. Notice the Bible says, By faith Noah. The word by is the word dia, which means through. Through faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which, that's the word through, through which he condemned the world, became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Thank you. Why don't you be seated, and, and let's pray together, and pray that the comments today will, uh, will be clear to you and make sense. It'll help prepare the way of what we'll be talking about next week. Okay, Father, I love you. Um, I think verse 7 is, to me, one of the best verses in this chapter, if not the book. It's about a man 
Father, that uh, while we may not relate to him, I think we can relate to the time in which he lived. And God, I know the challenge that is on me today. I feel the pressure of it. But Holy Spirit, I know that if anything is communicated, it'll have to be through you and by you. And Father, I think today, I, I believe next week, will be worthy of our people's time only if the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts and takes control of the preacher. And so God, right now, as best I know how, God, I want to surrender myself to you. Pray, God, that, that what I studied and what I wrote will be ordained by you for this particular crowd on this particular day. And all for the glory of Christ. His name, I pray. Amen. Well, I want you to look at verse 7 with me. You remember when you were back in school, grade school perhaps, you had a... English teacher, grammar teacher, that would say to you that one of the things you have to do is you have to identify a sentence. Remember that? And they would say to you that in a sentence, there's actually two main parts, but could be a third part. There is a what? There's a noun, subject, right? There is a verb. A verb is action, gives direction. And then in most sentences, there's some kind of end result of the action which we would call a direct object. Verse 7 is one sentence. And everything that the writer's going to say, he's going to build it around Noah built an ark. The noun is Noah. Everything he's going to say, and there's a lot here, we'll see next week, that he's going to modify Noah in several ways. Noah built, and the direct object is an ark. And he's going to say a couple things that we'll talk about next week about the ark. Noah built an ark. When we first began our study, we looked at verse 1. And I gave you, a, the best I could, a definition of faith. And I said this, faith is looking forward in confidence to the impossible. And then I said, faith is looking up in certainty at the invisible. No better demonstration in all of the Bible than Noah. And the writer tells us one thing. Noah built an ark. That's the structure of the sentence. Let me talk to you a little bit about Noah. We find Noah mentioned to us in Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. The Bible tells us that Noah lived in a very wicked time. In fact, here's what the Bible says. The wickedness of man was great. Every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was all wicked all the time. And think about that. In fact, the word intention could be translated, I think better translated, imagination. And so the writer tells us that that every imagination or the intention of every person who was alive during the days of Noah was wicked all the time. Every moment 
of every day, everybody who was alive saving Noah was wicked all the time. Now, gang, I look around our nation, and I look around our world today, and I think you would agree with me that we live in wicked times, that we live in evil times. There's a lot of stuff going, probably, surely, a lot that we don't know anything about. But I have to tell you, I'm not sure that today, although there's a lot of things similar, I'm not sure that today is as bad as it was back in Noah's days. Every intention, every imagination of every heart was wicked all the time. And the Bible says that God was grieved that He had made man And so he decided to wipe out. You talk about judgment. God was grieved. He decided to wipe out mankind except one guy who found favor in his eyes. That word means grace. There was one guy that was called and set aside by grace. His name was Noah. And Noah built, literally it's a box, Noah built a box. If Noah lived today, he would be called a psychopath. Now you think about it. He built a box about one and a half football fields long, one football field wide, four stories high, because he knew that God was going to kill all of the world except him and his wife and his kids, his nephews, perhaps his in-laws. Everybody in all of the known world was going to be killed, and Noah knew it. And Noah built an ark. How big was the ark? 96,000 square foot. Square feet. Think about it, girls. How would you like to vacuum that, huh? With all the animals. But Noah built an ark. He was 600 years old when the flood came. It took him 120 years to build it. He had never built anything in his life. He had no help. His boys were too young to start with, so they were too young to help. And the Bible tells us in Peter that all the while that he was building, in a wicked, wicked world, he was a preacher of righteousness. He would nail and nail and he would talk about the holiness and the righteousness and the judgment of God. And can you imagine the blowback that he was getting and the jeering he was getting and the hatred he was getting. But Noah, listening with his ears, Noah built an ark. He was hundreds of miles from water. It had never rained before. He had never seen a flood. He didn't have a clue. But Noah built an ark. In the book of Genesis, in contrast to all the wickedness of the world, it tells us that he was a just man. He was a 
righteous man, which means he was an upright kind of guy. He was blameless, in my translation says, in his time. If you have a King James, it'll say, in his generation. Those 100, 200, 300 years or more that he lived, out of all of the wicked, I'm echoing or doing something in here, aren't I? We need help with the sound. I need help with my voice, but you know, it's echoing a little bit. Well, okay. Anyway, out of all the wickedness, out of all, there was one man who stood just. One man who stood righteous and blameless. In his time, in his generation, he was the only one. But Noah built an ark. If Noah lived today, he would be sent to an educational realignment facility like that pro football player who said when that draft guy kissed his boyfriend on live TV, he said, I'm tired of that stuff. And so they sent him to a realignment. Sound like Nazi Germany, huh? Noah would have been classified like that. In fact, I don't know if you read yesterday evening, I was settling down for the night and I read about the governor of Utah who came out and he said, you know, when he's speaking about the speed of homosexuality and the growth of it, he, he was saying that, that you know, uh, uh, saying it's a choice, and man, he was blasted for that. See, people don't want to admit they're sinners. They'd rather blame it on somebody else, so they'd rather blame it on God. I'm not that way because of who I am or my choice. I'm that way because God made me that way. If Noah was alive, he would have been sent for a mind realignment, you know. If he was alive today, he would be labeled as a hot hate monger because he would believe that marriage is to be between a man and a woman for life, not like it was plastered on the Little Rock paper two weeks ago. I don't know if you were offended. I was incredibly offended that a paper in Little Rock, Arkansas would plaster two ladies kissing on the paper. Noah, if he had reacted to that, would have been labeled as an anti or a hate monger. If Noah was alive today, he would be called anti-woman because he would believe that an unborn baby has the right to life just as much as a mother who decides to kill that baby in the majority of cases because of inconvenience. If he was alive today, he would be labeled mentally disturbed or at least had a personality disorder because he would believe that God is the only God and that God has chosen to reveal himself at his own initiative in an external source of authority called the Bible which can only be our only source of authority because the heart of man is wicked and broken and runs at breakneck speed to sin and bloodshed. My, if Noah lived today, people would be seeking to take his life because he grew up and lived in the very center of anti-Godism, Mesopotamia, which is pretty close to the way America is today against 
God. What I'm trying to say to you folks is this, that preachers of righteousness have never been very popular. Preachers of righteousness haven't been respected or even understood. But most of the preachers of righteousness aren't preachers at all. They're supposed to be regular people like you and I who believe God who listen when He speaks, who sees with their ears and obeys, and yes, build arcs of safety for the glory of God, for the salvation of their families. You see, what Noah did, he did to save his family. Now, God was going to destroy, and he knew that. But God told him to build an ark, and Noah built an ark so that he might save his family, you see. And he knew that when the door was shut, the known world has, as he knew it would never be the same again. Again, Maybe he thought it would be better. Maybe it would be God-fearing. Yet the heart of man always needs an ark always needs an object of grace to those who believe by faith can accept and obey, which is a true confirmation of justification by faith alone. Noah built an ark. Noah heard God, and Noah obeyed God. I guess... Satan doesn't want this out. And I want you to know something. Everybody who has heard God by faith always has something in their life that show it by demonstration. What we need to understand today is that we have a whole host of those in our nation that go by the name of Christians. But there's never been any object to their efforts. No glory to God. Oh, they may have walked an aisle. They may have gone through a formula of a prayer that we lead them to. Might even went through the waters of baptism. But there's never been a transformation in their heart because there's never been something to demonstrate that their faith was real. Noah built an ark. And all of God's people, when they are saved by faith, will always some way in their life demonstrate the way they are through their life because they obey God. Noah built an ark. Next week, we're going to see that the ark of Noah was a giant symbol of grace through faith, but it was also a symbol of judgment. In fact, Jesus used Noah as an indicator of the kind of time it would be when Jesus would actually return. In fact, here's what Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. In fact, in Luke, here's what Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he even find faith on the earth? Noah built an ark. Now, gang, I want to close our time together. I know some of you think this is short. I'm not quite there yet. But I want to close our time together 
in the same way that if the Lord is willing, I close our time together next week. In my first message in Hebrews chapter 11, I said to you that when it comes to faith, there's a real danger for us to think that faith is something internal, something subjective, something that we generate from within that allows us to somehow earn our merit by performance, our salvation. And I don't know if you remember, but the illustration I I tried to use was an illustration of the treadmill or a stationary bicycle. You remember that? Obviously you don't. Let me remind you if I can, if I can remember. But basically what I, what I said was that somehow in, in all of this faith talk today that goes through our nation, and all this loosey-goosey Tommy rot that you hear on TV all the time, we can easily get the idea that faith is something that you generate from within, like maybe, like on a stationary bicycle. And the more you pedal... And the faster you pedal, the more faith you get and the more faith you generate. And it's somewhere along this generation cycle, God accepts you. But that's not what the Bible says at all. Look at verse 2 for just a moment. It says, For by it the men of old gained Approval. Now, if you're not careful, you would read that men of old gained approval and that danger that we think faith is something that I generate from within is confirmed in that verse. So if I just generate enough, I'll get it. And as you read the rest of the chapter, you find that Noah generated it and Abraham generated it, Moses generated it. But that's not what the writer is saying. It's not a performance. It's not a work. It's not hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. So therefore, since God is a God of love, He'll accept you. That word, gained approval, is literally one word in the original. It's a word which means testimony. Or perhaps we might say witness. It's the word for martyr. Let me tell you what the writer is saying, and then he'll describe the rest of them, the people, as people of faith. He's saying that these examples of faith followers showed by their faith living that they had received faith, and they proved it by the obedience of their lives. That's what verse 2 talks about. That's what Noah demonstrates for us. That's what Moses and Abraham demonstrates for us. You see, beloved, one of the distinguishing marks of a person of faith is that their lifestyle will match externally what God has done internally. That there'll be something from your life For the glory of God that's demonstrated externally because of the gift that God gave you internally. 
heck, the book of Titus says it's not by works of righteousness we've done, but it's according to His mercy that He has saved us through the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's not by works at all. Noah did what he did because he was a man of faith that God gave him, and he heard God, and he followed God, and he obeyed God, and Noah built an ark because God told him, and his faith followed. For by grace, the Bible says, are you saved by faith. And that not of yourselves, it, faith, it, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so what I want you to know about Noah was that God gave it to him. He heard him. He obeyed. And through that, his testimony was that he believed God. Beginning next Sunday in Sunday school, we're going to begin a new journey in our Sunday school classes. If you were in Sunday school today, you were probably given a book. Hopefully you were given a book by your teacher. All of our adults are going to begin a book by Warren Wiersbe. And we're going to begin studying the book of James. It's different than anything we've ever done. But we believe it's very important. And let me tell you why. Because the book of James demonstrates that a man or a woman of faith will always live that faith in some way, in some respect. There will always be fruit. There will always be proof. By the way, if if you're a teacher, aren't you glad we're through Song of Solomon? I mean, you know, we took two weeks on sex. And I don't know about you teachers, but I had to teach the young married class. And so I'm glad I'll study anything other than Song of Solomon. But we're going to study James. Let me tell you why. Because Don felt, and I agree with Don 100%, that somehow we have to connect some dots to what real faith is and show that anybody and everybody that has real faith will demonstrate it by how they work. You're not saved by works. But everybody who has faith works. You're saved by faith without works, but you're not saved by a faith that does not work. I think Martin Luther said it that way. And so what we're going to try to do, and I think we see it in Noah, we'll see it in the rest of the examples we see, that those who have received it, listen for it, and when they hear with their ears, They exhibit it, they demonstrate it through faith. I think Noah is a classic example in our day and age. In a time of incredible wickedness in which you and I are living, trying to raise our kids. Here's a man with all of the world against him. Noah built an ark. Because God told him to, and he deemed it worthy to follow. And in the obedience, he saved his family. And you young couples, 
I want you to know there's something more important than providing a house. There's something more important than buying your little girl and your little boy a car. There's something more important than teaching your kid how to hit a baseball and, and throw a football, as important as all those things are. The greatest thing that you can do for your home is do what Noah did. Noah built an ark for the saving of his family. We ought to be ark builders in our day today. In a world that's increasingly looking more like the time of Noah. And that's the time that it's going to be like when Christ comes back. You see, Noah built an ark. Next week we're going to see some things about Noah that the writer talks about. I'll point out a couple things about the ark that Noah built. As we leave, you remember, Noah built an ark for the saving of his family through which he condemned the world. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that, Lord, our study that we'll be on and the study of our Sunday school classes will so challenge us to connect some dots between faith and obedience. God, all that are truly justified by faith alone will obey the voice of God when He calls. So, God, I pray it'll be challenging for us, but I also pray, God, it'll be helpful to us. Maybe today there are some who have wondered about their faith. Maybe years ago they walked an aisle, but there's been nothing demonstrative in their life to reflect the faith life, the faith-following life. Maybe as they look at their life, there's been nothing but a time they got wet in baptism, walked an aisle in a service, or went through a little formula, but it never transformed their hearts. Maybe today is that day. God, I love you, and I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for just a moment. Still be leaving.